Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast where we talk to some of the world's most exciting founders and entrepreneurs about how they started and grew and scaled their businesses. Expect three parts actionable advice, two parts startup stories, and one amazing giveaway every single episode. As I said, we do have a giveaway at the end of every episode, so stay tuned to find out how you could win. Let's get into it. Hi guys, and welcome to episode two. Today we are speaking to the 23-year-old CEO of the not-for-profit organization, Hello, and our newly announced Director of Growth and Partnerships, Lewis Baxter. Lewis, welcome. Pleasure to Should be here. Hello. <laughs> hello, absolutely. Great welcome. Thanks for joining us. Love the shirt, by the way. Thank you. I thought I'd keep it quite low-key today <laughs> with the multicolored specimen. Yeah, not make an impression on anyone. Absolutely. Just brighten up. Brighten up this place. It's good. Yeah, much needed, I think, with my personality. Well, it just goes with your black shirt. And to be fair, your sh- your pants are quite nice. Yeah, yeah, I tried. <laughs> I tried. We're a good blend. <laughs> At least you guys are dressed up. <laughs> a good combination. No, but great to have you on. Um, for the listeners that don't know much about you, everyone, can you <laughs> <laughs> can you just give us a brief overview of what you do, your experience, and... Hello, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So we we formed Hello in March 2020. So we've been going 17, 18 months now. Um, And it's been great just to build the team, um, you know, grow our services across the UK over the last year and a bit. And it's been such a difficult year for a lot of people. Um, And we launched in the midst of the global pandemic to sort of tackle some of the, the greatest challenges faced by people here in the UK looking at social isolation, um, looking at mental health and well-being and, and loneliness. And our organisation has a very, very simple concept, and that's to provide a conversation for those who need it most. So our free phone line is coordinated by volunteers throughout the week, Monday to, to Sunday, um, and people can call if they fancy a chat, need to unwind, just get some guidance, and our, our fantastic team of volunteers are there to to chat to people. And to be honest, for those that do know me, I, I love to chat. So it was a, sort of a match made in heaven when we created Hello. And it's been great to join Corogo as well and sort of hopefully build what you've, you know, build on from what you've created, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So you obviously joined earlier in the year, spring time, start of summer yeah. potentially. And we've been working together kind of very quietly until last couple of months where we announced your involvement but very quietly and you've kind of led our our rebrand and helping hire the, the likes of Schwabe and yeah. Ellie which has been fantastic so it's been 90% great having you on board apart <laughs> there's, there's always an element of it that you can't get rid of honestly this guy just he abuses me <laughs> it's good you you've you've got to have a bit of that haven't you you've got to have a bit of fun yeah he rips into me but yeah I think good. we share it we make a, we make a good team yeah you do but no, you've you've been instrumental in really just rebranding and, and taking us to a new level and helping us kind of fulfil the the ambition that we have and and actually kind of fleshing that out, making sure we're really clear on it and bring on board the likes of Schwab as well, which has been fantastic. So thank you for from me for that. I guess it's been great to be involved, and I'm I'm excited what we can all create together and and building on a fantastic vision. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so you've built a 70 plus team at Hello and also helped onboard the two new stars, including me at Corogo. What would you say um, is vital to ensure you make those hires right and, and you get the right people on board? 
So a lot of the team that are at Hullo are, are our volunteers. And I think that, you know, handling volunteers and handling paid staff are, are very different. Uh, people have different demands. Obviously, those that are volunteering have often full-time jobs or in full-time study. So uh, different sorts of relationships that you have to build there. But I think the fundamental thing is is building those relationships, um, having conversations with these people, trying to get on their same level, uh, making sure that it's a good fit for both parties. Because ultimately, if you can have good conversations with people, you can work well together and you can achieve great things. Um, and obviously, hello, very uh, sort of vision driven, uh, very values driven, trying to make a difference, make an impact in the in the charitable activities that we do um, and then the same with with bringing you and, and Ellie and working with Sam at, at uh, Corogo again is having those conversations um, with the people making sure that there's some you, you vibe <laughs> is <Yep>. probably the, <laughs> a really important thing because I think if you work well together culturally um, and, and utilize each other's skills really well um, and bounce ideas off each other I think that's really important when you, you kind of help me bring on Schwab and Eddie, it's, it's quite a rigorous process. And I know a lot of people, particularly in startup, when it's your first couple of hires, so important to get that right. Is there ever a, a temptation when people are volunteers to not have as much diligence with the hiring process? Or were you kind of super thorough, even though a lot of the time you're not paying them? I feel like a lot of people, if you're not paying someone, particularly with even government schemes like Kickstart Scheme, for example, that a lot of people are using at the moment, particularly startups. I think there's a temptation to not take as much care with the people you're hiring. Have, did you ever find that or are you still quite thorough? So the the one of the, the at Hullo, we're still very much building the foundations. And I think the same can be said for Corogo as well. I'm a big believer of getting those basics right, getting the foundations, um, because you can never build a, a lovely, gorgeous mansion if you don't start getting the real fundamentals and foundations of the property in place to start with. So the systems and processes, I know we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, but also those systems and processes in terms of recruitment. So in, in volunteer land, in, in charity land, it's very much safe recruitment policies, looking at the DBS, uh, you know, doing that quite thoroughly, one-to-one -one interviews, making sure these volunteers align with the vision, align with the organisation. We can't take everybody through because actually, you know, there's lots of people who want to volunteer with, with the vast array of organisations and it's got to make sure that it's a right fit for both parties. Yes, they are volunteering, but um, it's a great opportunity for them. It's a great opportunity for us to get them on board and we want to maximize that relationship as much as we can um but no we don't cut any corners i think there's a real tendency for startups and also for um sort of charity not-for-profit sort of uh, new projects there's a tendency to cut corners but i think it's really important as you start to grow and as people start to scrutinize that you have those checks and balances in place that you're able to say, you know, this is our robust hiring process, safe recruitment process, whatever it is. So you've got it in your back locker. No one's you, no one probably will ask for it. You know, it's very unlikely I've had a conversation where someone's been you know, wanting to see my safe recruitment policy, see what we put our volunteers through in terms of uh, interviews or hiring. But just having it there is a peace of mind for the team peace of mind for funders, peace of mind for partners and anyone else who asks. Yeah, super, super important. I think having you help us, especially bring on the first two hearts, has been incredible because I'm a little bit more impulsive, I think. Mm -hmm. You kind of, <laughs> you're laughing at me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, well, I mean, I knew I knew I wanted to trade full-time whilst he was doing bits of part-time work. I, 
as soon as I needed part-time work, he was kind of the first person I went to and I had almost made my decision very quickly. Similarly with Ellie, to be honest. Yep. As soon as I received her initial application, I was pretty much set. You've kind of been putting the reins on a little bit more. You've got to, I think we, we talk, we're going to talk about this, about building relationships and about building culture, but actually knowing where your strengths are, you know, you people have different personalities within a business, within any organization. I've been that impulsive person. I have been, you know, we wouldn't have got so far with hello if we hadn't had an element of let's just get up and do it. But then as you get more and more into it and there's more scrutiny, we're currently registering to become a, a registered charity. We're getting more, um, so hopefully getting some more multi-year funding uh, for our organization it becomes really really paramount to get those basics right um, and build from there but i think that as you say you know you, you have a good vibe with someone you make sure that you go through all the right processes in terms of onboarding a new member of staff and you can't go far wrong really yeah how did you know it was time to hire initially especially with hello that's a really tough question. Um, the charity sector, the third sector, and and obviously sort of startup life and, and businesses for profit ventures, should I say, um, it's it is very different because obviously as a as a as a not for profit, we don't really have a service that people buy. We don't have a product that people buy. We are very much reliant on on funding through tra charitable trusts and foundations. For example, we're national lottery funded. Um, obviously, a lot of people have heard of that really trusted, reliable uh, sort of funder. Um, but then we also rely on corporate partnerships as well. So building those relationships with businesses up and down the country. So a lot of it was dictated by, do we have enough money in the bank to hire? And actually, that provides a really nice approach to businesses. You go to them and say, look, this is the vision. This is what we're trying to do. This is the impact that we've made so far. Do you want to come on board? And then they'll start, you know, asking, how can we help? And that gives you a perfect way to say, do you know what? I would love to be able to bring someone on part time. We had two fabulous members of, of staff at Hello um, over the last sort of nine to 12 months, Mika and Abby, who were subordinates with operations and our volunteer recruitment and management. And they did a fantastic job without those hires without that funding to be able to hire we wouldn't be in the position we are today in terms of startup i think again it's it's about having the funding it's about having a great enough pipeline to know you've got enough funds in the bank to be able to onboard and bring new members of the team on but don't rush i think that's the key thing if you feel there's a gap in your skill set and an area where you really need that strategic support when we spoke it was sort of business development, partnerships, that growth piece. Um, but then in more recent conversations, as we're, we're bringing on some fantastic clients that we are doing, it's about, we need more content creators. We need more people to, to work with the people that we work with. Yeah, I have a question. Um, I'm going to get straight in there. Um, have you made any mistakes when hiring and how can people avoid them? Don't say me. <laughs> that's in, gonna be number one um <laughs> oh, you've took the answer right out of my mouth there uh, no it's a it's it's a really tough one because there probably are mistakes that we've made i think in terms of due diligence and making sure that we follow the correct procedures in terms of recruitment yeah. little things like right to work checks you know doing the dbs is making sure the the contracts of employment are all absolutely uh, watertight um, and then making sure that all the terms and conditions are agreed yeah. between you know a lot of that you know putting the time in there is really really important um, 
probably a, a, a chicken way out of an answer to say I've not made many mistakes, but I yeah. think it's more been all uh, oh, contracts not been quite right. Let's have a sit down again. Let's make sure yeah. it works for both parties. And I think actually having that open dialogue and having that open safe space to allow employees mm -hmm. and people that are potentially coming on board to have an open discussion whether that is salary because often that is is something that wants to be negotiated it might be at working time and flexibility of working i know that's something we're all really you know yeah. um sort of it's a really important thing for us that flexible working work when you work best so to speak um so i think the little mistakes have been made on along the way yeah. um i'm sure there's going to be a couple more as well <laughs> moving forward. Is there anything then that you look for in every single hire that you make? Or is it very specific to the role? Because obviously, Karogo speaking, we've made two full-time hires and there's been similarities that we've looked for in Shweba and Eli. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you will look for in every hire or is it very much specific to, to the role? Really good question very specific to the role so it's obviously dependent on what sort of what is required i'm not going to name any certain roles here to sort of stereotype but yeah. there are certain roles where you know good solid qualifications you know real aptitude and ability to to perform those certain things is really all that's required but then from the other perspective can you work with that person you know can you can can this person you know hold good conversations with you do you feel like there's some form of connection and it might not be immediately sort of you know in front of you but there is always common ground there is always more in common than that which divides us the the late um mp joe cox said that really infamous quote there is always more in common than that which divides and i think that's a really important thing when bringing on new staff that you know try try and work out ways that you can work well together um but no it's a it's a it's a really it's a really tough question i think you get that gut feeling um, you mentioned it with with Ellie. You sort of see the the CV. Has someone thought outside the box? Has someone been a little bit innovative with the way they've applied for the role? How do they really want this? Are they just or are they just sending their CV and cover letters to multiple places? I'll be honest. There's nothing that frustrates me more than receiving a cover letter and that the, the the details being for another organisation <laughs> or, or certain things like dear Brian or dear recruiting manager. You know, there's certain things that you can do that just makes it a little bit more personal to make us read it say this person wants to work with us this is why let's chat with them and to be fair i don't think i've ever not chatted to someone if they've ticked those boxes yeah i mean we received what probably about 100 applications mm. for ellie's role yeah ellie's was the only one that stood out yeah the only one because and it wasn't because of it wasn't even because of her CV or the cover letter, it was because of the work she was doing outside of her current job. Yeah, that was what. That's a really good more. point. Actually, extracurricular stuff outside of your your sort yeah. of nine till five, so to speak, or your your sort of your job. Yeah. You know that you know, oh, you're creating content on the side. This is obviously a, a content and social media role um in, in in reference to ellie but it's yeah creating content on the side you know big foodie lover of music and really showing those passions off um or it might be someone that wants to come and do partnerships work at your business or bd or sales have they done a bit of fundraising in the past have they got a, a demonstrable aptitude for building relationships and usually if they can if they can show that and think outside the box a little bit 
have a conversation. And what's the worst that can happen anyway if you have a have a chat with someone? Yeah, it's it's the taking initiative and yeah. like taking responsibility to to do your own thing and not just not stop at what's just been given to you in your job role. It's the same for Shweb. Yeah. You know, first reached out to me. Was it writing a, a piece on LinkedIn? It was like yeah. a LinkedIn guide, wasn't it? It was the first way. Yeah, I was actually connected. at my old company and uh, was on furlough at the time. And I thought I had loads of free time. Mm-hmm. What can I do that could potentially further my career yep. um, and use that time productively? And I just created like an ebook kind of thing um, awesome. in kind of personal branding LinkedIn. Asked Sam to feature in it as like a, a guest feature, um, which he kindly did. And then and here we are. It <laughs> quite well as well, didn't it? quite a lot of traction yeah yeah it did yeah it was that initial kind of demonstration that he's not just gonna most people during photo would just sit around yeah, yeah. thumbs it was that initial demonstration that he's taken that time and and done yeah. something valuable with it that that ticks that box so 100 percent. yeah really when, important. so when it comes to hires so you say you've made a great hire what do you do then to get make sure you're constantly getting the best out of that person so this is probably where i link back to mistakes or, or or hurdles and barriers that I've had to navigate in the past. Um, I think now I do things a lot differently than, than right. the first hires. I first hired when I was at an organization when I was about 18, 19 right. uh, for part-time, for part-time staff and then Holo most recently the last two years and then Corogo now. Um, I think one of the key thing key things that you've got to establish early doors is, is those boundaries mm-hmm. and making sure, you know, when that person wants to work best, how you fit and integrate in with that with that working working time um little things like you know how do they want feedback delivered how often do they want one-to-ones how often do they want reviews and are they someone that that needs sort of constant praise or is it or do they not really um do they thrive off little incentives and little surprises and little perks if the more you find out about the employee that you've brought on and volunteers as well and really get to know what makes them tick why they're doing what they are doing um, and what makes them them i think you can have a really successful relationship with that employee and want to retain them as well retention is always the key thing you might recruit someone you might bring someone on and you might think you're doing everything hunky-dory but actually that retention piece is really important and sometimes funding doesn't allow you to to continue keeping that relationship but if you really want someone to stay with you you've got to make that known however you feel that that's the the right way of doing it yeah, so it seems like a very personalised approach. You know, you mm. can't use a one-size-fits-all model when it comes to building those relationships with employees to make sure, you know, they're performing at their best, but also they're happy and you're happy and everything's running smoothly. Yeah, there's obviously guides you can read. There's there's lots yeah. of things in, in HR blogs and stuff like <laughs> that. But actually, no, there's, there's not one-size-fits-all policy. And I think the culture piece is really important. Can you have someone in your firm? It might not necessarily be you as a CEO or you as the senior leader, but it's just someone in that firm that an employee can go to and have those open conversations with, and they feel able to share concerns early Mm -hmm. and not let them bubble on and then obviously snowball. And potentially, you know, if those little issues don't get nipped in the bud early, they then can ask, escalate into much larger issues, which then will, will lead to people moving on. And we all know the costs of hiring. We all know the costs of retaining staff. And we, we'd much rather retain a fantastic member of staff than have to go out there and try and recruit again. I mean, it's hard enough doing it with a small team. It's it's a lot easier than a large team when you've when you've got kind of 
four or five, even two or three team members. It's it's not easy, but it's a lot easier, I imagine, than doing it with 70 plus employees or even when you get to double figures. So how do you keep that kind of personal relationship piece and manage it at scale when you've got a team of 10 plus or 50 plus or even 70 plus? Mm. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I think the first thing is is be aware that you can't do it all on your own. I I really, with speaking from a perspective of Holo, I really, really genuinely want to know every volunteer by name, uh, the bit about them, their interests, you know, what they get up to at the weekend. But it comes to a point where that becomes logistically impossible. And actually, I'll if I just spent all my time catching up with all 70 odd volunteers and the team and the board and, and everyone that's supporting us, I'll never have any time to do anything else. So then it's about building those sort of structures, organizational structures to make sure that you surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with senior team members and, and senior volunteers who can act as buddies, as mentors, as I don't really like the word managers, but sort of that, 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 that person to, to give that guidance to that person. Um, and and who can have those conversations on your behalf? And I think if you build that culture, that build that right ethos, whoever's having that conversation with prospective employees, volunteers, current volunteers and team members, it doesn't matter because hopefully those key bits of information will feed back to you anyway. You're a fan of systems then? Sounds like you're, you're quite systems orientated. Yeah, I, I think that... It's a really tough one because every every organisation has their own systems, their own ways of doing things. But I think if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's the need to be flexible, the need to be quite agile. We've heard that word in in startup startup lingo for the last eighteen months or so. But it is really important, and especially as you're looking to scale and grow and reach more people, um, or bring on more clients and you know increase your revenue and sales, whatever it might be having those really core systems and processes in place. We touched upon it from a HR and recruitment perspective, but even in terms of like internal comms, you know, how do you best communicate internally? What's your sign off policy for social media posts, your emails, getting those really core policies and processes in place. Things like CRM systems for BD and outreach, you know, put the time in to build that system and then give it a go. What there's always a risk of with systems and processes is you do something, oh, it's not working after three or four days, and then try a new system. You need to be able to give it a time. And whatever industry that is, you'll obviously know that industry best. Um, but it's, you've got to give systems and processes the time to mature. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned systems and processes as you know, key to scaling. What other kind of things would you put up there as well in terms of you know, growing your business, growing your team, gaining mm. new clients? So people, again, the people at the core of the organization make it special. The people that you surround yourself with, that you get advice off, mentorship from, form allegiances with, those are what makes an organization. You you, you can't be a one-man band unless you literally are a one-man band. Um, but even then, you probably still have <laughs> friends and supporters around you. Think of like a you know, solo musician. There's always people supporting them. Um, but I think in organizations, when you start having a small team and, and growing that, surrounding yourself with good people is really important. But Further than that, people that share those values, share that that ethos of the organization and you as an individual, yeah. um, but also making sure that you can pull on people who can do tasks better than you. 
So, yeah. for example, use you, from my perspective, you know, graphic design or website design or, you know, putting some marketing collateral together is not my forte. I'd happily join a conversation and bounce some ideas off, but I won't start then trying to create a graphic, you know, yeah. utilize people's skills. And you, the only way to find out what people's skills are and what else, you know, people are good at and, and what else people want to get involved in is by asking them and sitting them down. What's your skill? My skill. You know, we spoke about this. We've spoke about this before, haven't we? Um, sort of, I genuinely believe I'm a jack of all trades. I'll have a go at everything. I'll, I'll get stuck into everything. I'll roll my sleeves up into pretty much everything. But I don't think I've got a, a, a specialist skill. If I was to say anything, relationship building, partnership work, um, the ability to juggle multiple plates and try not to <laughs> make sure that none of them actually smash and crash around <laughs> you. I think that's a skill in itself and, and making sure I, I see myself sometimes it's not the best analogy, but conductor of an orchestra, people don't see them almost as the, the main, main part of the orchestra because everybody's there doing their bits, but actually the, the conductor does play an important role and should be proud of the fact that, okay, they're not playing the amazing music but they're making sure that they get the best of everyone else, get the best out of everybody else. And I think that's something I've learned over the last few years is really trying my best to get the best out of people. And then you will go on to achieve some, some fabulous things. Yeah. I mean, probably the biggest reason I brought you on was for those two things, getting the best out of the rest of the team and, and mm -hmm. helping me do that. But also for that partnerships piece, yep. I saw you as someone very, very strong in that, in that side of things and actually developing relationships with people and and creating mutually beneficial outcomes which is obviously a pretty key i guess it's one of the the key pillars of startup growth yeah so what's kind of have you got any tips or advice for, for people listening in terms of getting identifying good partnerships and mutually beneficial partnerships and then actually making them happen and and actioning things so I think one of the things we we sort of got rid of in terms of our lexicon terminology words that we we didn't want to use was sort of sales. Um, it's just a personal perspective as a as a twenty three year old. You know, somebody who who I don't quite like that word. I think you said it perfectly there. You know, try and find that common ground. Try and find something that will connect you. It might be shared values. It might be um, you know when we connected, it was because of our ages. For example, there might be certain things you might have shared interests. You might bump into people that have those interests and you find out what they're doing or whatever. But I think that the core thing is, is about finding those aligned values and making sure that you can sort of craft a partnership around those. If the values aren't in sync, you're going to struggle. You can't really fit a, a square peg through a round hole. You know, you've really got to try and find those those values. Um, know what you want from the partnership as well and make sure that you are quite transparent and open about that. You know, when you first meet someone, there's a tendency to try and, you know, keep cards close to your chest, to try and keep things hidden, to try and uh, create this false impression of your business and what you want. And then people start leaving the call is, as, as there have been things left unsaid, as the, are there any ulterior motives to this person coming to do a pitch? Actually, if you get rid of that and just say, no, this is what I want, really honestly. This is what we've done so far. This is our vision, our dream, our ambitions. Here are some of our values. And I know another thing that people ask, what, you know, what's the difference you've made or what impact have you made so far? Share that with them on a deck, talk them through, have a real nice, lighthearted conversation. And you'll find they're probably willing to support 
I, I, I find myself being quite an open book. It's important to be quite transparent when building relationships. Really important in the charity sector, obviously, because you, you, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with making real social change. But I think you can take some of those principles to, to startup world as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, your whole brand is built around that, isn't it? Around that openness and being completely transparent. Everything yeah, you, you absolutely, share. absolutely. Yeah, completely. We, you know, we we when we have our volunteers taking calls from people that have had a tough day at work that, or someone else who might not have spoken to anyone for a couple of weeks might live alone. You know, we we pride ourselves on that ability for our volunteers to be to transparent, to be open, to 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 have these lovely chats with people who might have nobody else at the other end of a phone other than us. And I think that if I try and have those values, adopt those values day to day in whatever walk of life. There are obviously things in our lives that we might want to keep hidden. There are obviously things that we don't have to share. But I think when building relationships, share what you can to try and craft that most meaningful partnership. Yeah, so we've spoken a bit about you know acquiring those, whether it be clients or supporters or building those partnerships mm. initially. Yeah. I guess that comes in the kind of acquisition uh, retention debate. But how do you then go ahead and secure those partnerships long term? And how do you make sure that they always stay mutually beneficial? Yeah, so it's oh, these these conversations are always tricky, aren't they? Because they're they're sort of quite general and vague, um, and and so lots of ways we can take it. But I think that the one thing is, is communication is key. I think that's one of the the key things, and something that in the past I've neglected. I'll hold my hands up. That ongoing stewardship, so to speak, that ongoing making sure that you build a relationship. There is a big tendency in new business development and in you know bringing on new partners to secured the partner we've got this client we've got them on a three-month you know retainer or six month or 12 month and then oh let's go out and get some more but actually you've got to really make the most of those partners and often in in charity land um you know that some of the most successful partners are those multi-year partners really build those relationships with your first few partners and hopefully they'll stay with you for a very long time and build that story and go out with new partners with hand by hand and whatever the uh, what is it hand by hand hand on hand <laughs> hand in hand hand in hand <laughs> with those partners <laughs> and go out and find others because actually those testimonials those case studies of people that have worked with you that have had a really successful relationship is key so communication you know regular contact updates sharing successes feedback in in Corogo's case you know you know personal branding uh, that data and insights and analytics piece you know being really open on that and seeing where there's room for improvement and always looking ahead both short term three six twelve months where do you want to be and how can we help you achieve those uh, ambitions hands down couldn't agree more let's just hit the nail on the head um i mean looking at our our clients the ones that we get the best results for happen to be the ones we have the best relationships with, the ones we speak to the most, the ones we get on with the most. Um, so it translates into results as well. I literally cannot emphasize it enough. One of the biggest things I found is calling clients or partners or, or anyone that's involved with you, pick up the phone and call them. Not an email, not a text, not a voice note, an actual phone call or even meet them in person. It actually does wonders. Ollie taught me that, Ollie Duffy Lee. And it will change your business. Get on the phone to people because people don't do it anymore. Yeah. People don't have that that contact. Like, well, I barely even like no. You don't even call your friends. No. 
I mean, we set up a whole organisation. Hello, <laughs> surrounded by uh, on, on conversations to try and encourage people to have exactly. conversations. And actually, people do want it. But we have been taught as you know. Aristotle said that we're all social animals, aren't we, by nature? We, we are social animals. We like to chat. We like to connect. We like to form relationships. But I think over the last few years, the 21st century and looking at the so social media boom, we are at times extremely connected, but then at other times so disconnected. The times that we feel so endlessly scrolling our social media, but those meaningful relationships, those meaningful connections are so hard to come by. So... And that can be applied to, to business development, to partnership building, picking up the phone, going for a coffee. You pick up the nuances. You find those common grounds. That's a, a key thing with uh, sales. I know I said I don't want to use the word, but identifying that common ground early. What challenges, what problems are, is X person facing? How can you help? What challenges are you sort of facing? And you might find there's overlap. And if there's overlap, you can tackle these problems together and go at it from different angles and from diverse perspectives. But I, I love that. I think picking up the call as much as possible. It's difficult because we're all busy people. We've all got a million and one things that we have to get through. But finding a bit of time, going for a little walk and combining that with a catch up with a client, perfect. If it takes 10 minutes, half an hour, if that call extends a partnership for three months or six months or just keeps them happy for an extra month it's always worth the time yeah always worth the time and even monetary investment if you're meeting them in person traveling the country can't recommend it enough absolutely 100 percent. yeah there's, there's a question that i have i've been itching to ask it um how do you deal with bad clients or clients that are tricky to work with really interesting question um Again, depends on the industry, depends on the circumstances. Probably not a one-size-fits-all policy for this question because yeah. every client, every, we all know that the clients we deal with, we know how we are, we know our downfalls, and we know how we could be better as people and as a business. However, I think that be, being honest and upfront with them where there's been difficulties, the sooner you can do that, the sooner that you can share where there might be a little bit of tension, a little bit of friction, and have that open, transparent conversation. I think it will pay dividends in the future. The more you keep treading on eggshells or trying to sort of skirt around the subject, I don't think that's going to do anyone any favours. It might be, for example, you know, someone's, someone's not replying to emails that quick and you're worried that it might look bad on us because... You know, they're not going to be getting the impact and the results that they want to see because they're not communicating with us. Communication is key. So talking with these clients, talking with these partners, that extends to employees as well. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, where there might be little bumps in the road, trying to navigate them together is much better than just sort of, you know, skirting around them yourself. You'll hit more, greater, more challenging bumps in the future. Um Another thing is as well, if there are really challenging clients who are making you feel down, making yeah. you feel upset, making you feel uh, unwanted, what you, you name the adjective, there are clients that have made me feel like that. And especially in the charity world where you're thinking, crikey, you know, what we're trying to do here is build something special to help people, to help thousands of people a week ultimately have conversations and build connections. And when people say hurtful things to you, Draw a line under it. Yeah. Find out. Find a partner that will build. You know, build a really better partnership than than the one that you had there. Um, it's not going to do anyone any good if you're feeling down, is it? No. I'd say protect yourself as well. Protect yourself from yeah. the off. 
get agreements in place. Yeah. You, I know it's not a, it's often a touchy subject. It's not the sexiest thing to do, but mm. agreements will save you so much hassle. Yeah. I mean, not having them in place has cost me personally. Yeah. Understandably. And that's the systems and processes piece as well, building those foundations of any business and, and operations. You know, I think the, the buzzwords at the moment or have been for the last few years, things like scale and, and growth and things like that. But before scale and growth and trying to take over the world, you've got to get those basics right. Jump over, jumping through hoops, you know, skirting around some of the basics and it's not going to pay dividends in the future you mentioned sam your sort of impulsiveness there's there's every entrepreneur has an element of impulsiveness and you wouldn't be the person you are today without that element however you just need someone to be reining you in and making sure that you're getting those basics right yeah thanks for that so <laughs> that's just, doing that yeah it's like uh, dot, dotting the i's and, and crossing the t's yeah. and actually sometimes forgetting to do that they'll all add up won't they and making sure my employees aren't going to sue me yeah <laughs> but, but you met it's a serious point things like contracts and agreements get them in place get them signed get them you know the terms and conditions mutually agreed and hopefully there shouldn't be any problems but never say never <laughs> <laughs> So, Lewis, that's, that's been fantastic. It's been really interesting to kind of talk about, I guess, three elements that we've talked about, culture and people, getting the systems and operations in place, and then partnerships as well, which I think provide a really solid kind of three-stage foundation for starting to grow and starting to scale, whether it's a not-for-profit, a startup, any form of business. So really appreciate you coming on and speaking to us through about those. And uh, yeah, thank you for all the hope you've given us at Corogo. Pleasure. It's great to be involved. Thank you both. Hi guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. What we want to do for this episode is give away some of the content templates and structures that Shoaib and I have used to generate results like the ones we've spoken to today. We've got over 50 of them that are all plug and play, so all you've got to do is put your own information and advice into the structures. Really easy for you to create really high quality posts that are going to get you seen and going to get you clients. Some of the structures we've used to get all the amazing results that we've spoken about and something that we usually just keep for private clients of ours, but we're going to give them away to one lucky winner of this little giveaway competition. All you've got to do to be in chance of winning this is leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast provider. Take a screenshot of it and ping it over to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Sam G. Winsbury on LinkedIn. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. We'll pick one winner at random to give these content templates to. Really, really useful, literally plug and play. So guaranteed to generate results for you. Guys, thank you very much for listening. We hope you found that valuable. I know I certainly did. We really want to reach and help out as many people as possible with this podcast. So if you did enjoy today's episode, please do share with just one friend or on your social media. It takes literally 30 seconds for you to do, but makes such a massive difference to the podcast, the guests we can get on, and the amount of valuable information we can continue to provide for you. For behind the scenes and extra content, make sure you're following Corogo and the team across socials. I'll leave all of our links in the show notes. Take care.